right, that's wonderful. Second uh, Peter chapter one. As you're opening your Bible and we get ready to look at Scripture together, think about the last element of the fruit of the Spirit in the series we've been going through. We're going to be looking at Second Peter chapter one, and we have a video here in just a moment that we're going to show you of our one of our students, one of our teenagers, reading the Scripture for us. Uh, so much anticipation about this morning, just being able to to gather to sing together, pray together, study scripture, take the Lord's Supper, be reminded of, of the goodness of God and the way that he is at work in our lives and how we re- need those reminders. God has created us to, to have these reminders in our lives to see how he's been at work. And like Dustin was praying to remember the power of the gospel and what does that look like lived out in our life? It's one thing to say we believe these things, but it's another. What does it look like to live that out in everyday life? And so as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit The first element is love, put first because love permeates all of the fruit of the Spirit. The final element of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control because in many ways self-control provides those guardrails, that, that guidance of what it is to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And so as we think about this morning, this concept of self-control and the impact that that should have in the way that we live, I hope you'll see love and self-control in the way that they frame, they they provide that that guidance for how we live out the fruit of the Spirit. Next week, Dr. Kelly uh, will be here. Bobby Kelly, one of the professors at Oklahoma Baptist University that so many of you know and love, and he comes back every year to, to teach God's Word each year with us about the same time of the year. So Dr. Kelly will be here. And then in March, the remainder of March, we're going to study through Acts chapter 17 as a way to prepare ourselves for Easter. So we'll be moving in that direction. And then following Easter, we're going to have an extended study in the book of Daniel. That frankly will probably take a couple of months, but we'll be going through the book of Daniel. And so I'm excited about being able to do that together. This morning, though, our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And I hope you'll have your Bible in front of you. This is a really neat video from our students. Unfortunately, in the portion where they read the scripture, the audio did something kind of funny for us, so we're gonna make it as easy for you to hear as possible, but if you have your Bible open, certainly it'll be easier to follow along. So enjoy this video from our teenagers, and then we'll get right into studying God's word. Hey Emmaus, this is Kennedy Lee Hugh, and I am actually currently um, with the students at Refuel, so I'm gonna let them say hi for just a second. Um, This is my friend Avery Rhodes. She's going to read the scripture that Owen is going to preach from this morning. Okay, so it's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge into knowledge, self-control, into self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, mutual affection, into mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Thanks, Avery. Um, So the students have something really exciting coming up. Um, This spring break, they are actually going to have a service opportunity. So it's going to be like a local mission trip. Um, They're going to be serving from Monday through Wednesday. So throughout the day, they're going to go out into the community with more. We're actually going to partner with some other churches. Um, We're going to be working with Serve More. 
Um, and then the, in the evenings, we're just going to hang out and have a lot of fun. So if you guys are interested in serving along with us, you guys can contact Jim Lehue. Um, but it's going to be a great opportunity for our students just to serve and hang out together. So we hope that you guys have a great Sunday morning. I'm going to let everybody say bye. Bye. <laughs> All right, that's good. Kennedy's doing an incredible job uh, with our students on Wednesday night, and we're continuing to go through the process of, of searching for God, who God has in that position for us long term next. But I'm so thankful for Kennedy and her work with our students. This last weekend, my parents came up uh, to take me out to eat for us to, actually we brought food into the house for, for my birthday, but as they were here, my parents were up, we were talking about some of the vacations that we had taken as a family. My parents uh, took us on some really neat vacations. I was so blessed as a kid in a hundred different ways, but one of the things they loved to do was take us on vacations. One vacation that we were reminiscing about was a trip we had taken to Colorado, uh, and I, I don't know exactly how old I was, probably around 10, 12, 13, something like that. We had gone to Colorado, and we were getting ready to come back home, and so our parents let us buy a little souvenir, something to take home, something for the road, and I purchased fudge as my gift for, for the road home. And not just a little bit of fudge, but enough fudge to feel really good uh, about the purchase. And our family, we enjoy fudge just like everybody does. And so I bought this fudge. Probably it would have been best if I've eaten a little bit of the fudge and then saved some more fudge uh, for after we got home from, from vacation. And you should probably know about me as well that as a kid, I couldn't ride the seven miles from our home to where we would go to Marlowe or Duncan to get gas or, or groceries without getting car sick. Um, but we purchased this fudge in Colorado, and I ate a lot of that fudge uh, on the way home. And I'll just let you kind of fill in the details of what happened as a result of me eating all of that fudge on, on the way home. But here's what I would like to tell you. A lack of self-control not only impacts you, but all of the people around you. <laughs> when we don't exhibit self-control in life, including when we don't exhibit self-control about how much food we consume on a trip on the way home, it doesn't just impact you, it impacts everybody around you. And so this morning, as we think about self-control, remember that self-control is not just an individual element, that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we're talking about something God does in our lives, but it impacts the community. It impacts everybody around us. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We live in a world where we're often taught or where we learn somewhere along the way that if something doesn't go right, what do we do? We learn to blame other people. <laughs> And, and let me just say from the beginning here out of 2 Peter chapter 1, that as God's people and as a church, and one thing I want to do well for you in the future as your pastor, is we just need to embrace a no excuses approach to Christianity. Because God is so straightforward with us in his word right here. What has he given us? He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Which means 
It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your personality. It doesn't matter your family. It doesn't matter your job. Because of the work of God's Spirit in your life, you have everything you need for life and godliness. And if we're not careful when life is not going in a godly way and when we're not growing spiritually in the way that we think we should, we find everything else out there to blame and we forget what God is doing within us. We forget the hope of the gospel. We forget that the God of the universe has poured out his grace and love on us. We forget that God has given us his word with all of the power and promises contained in his word. We forget that the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. We have, because of God's power and presence and promises, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And that is true not only individually, but that is true for us as a church. It's fun to think about all that God will do in and through Emmaus in the years to come. I get excited thinking about that. Even this last week as, as we looked at plans related to how we use our property and buildings and programs and all those things, we get excited about those things. They're going to allow us to impact families and kids in our community. All those are good. But you know what we most need? We need the Holy Spirit of God to transform us a church from the inside out. That God has already, it doesn't matter what building we have, it doesn't matter who's on staff, it doesn't matter what programs we have, it doesn't matter what pandemics are happening in the world, we have everything as a church to do what God has called us to do because we have the power of the gospel at work through Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit of God at work among us and we never wanna lose sight of that. So as a church, we just agree from this point just to have a no excuses approach, <laughs> that God has granted us everything we need for life and godliness. For what purpose? Look at the middle of verse four. The middle of verse four says, so that through those promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Partaking of the divine nature doesn't necessarily mean supernatural powers, though sometimes it does include that. What it means is being shaped into the character of God. And what have we learned about the character of God? The character of God is wrapped up in the work of the fruit of the Spirit. That as God does this work in our lives, as we experience the power of the gospel, as we understand more about God's love, as we read his word and learn these promises, what happens? we are shaped, we are formed to become more and more like him. His divine nature, his power flows through us. This is one of those things in scripture that already not yet, in some way escaping the corruption of the world and being completely made into the image of God is a future reality beyond this world, but it begins right now. <laughs> Going back to that no excuses idea, that God is at work right now helping us escape from the corruption of the world and live according to his power. What does that look like? Look in verse five. In verse five it says, for this very reason, make every effort. So this is not a passive endeavor. This isn't we're just lazy and sit back. There's a calling here. Make every effort to supplement or add to your faith, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. 
Now, one interesting thing here is in Peter's, 2 Peter here, with this giving of this list, love comes last. Fruit of the Spirit, love comes first. You can see how love, again, is a shaping, framing reality in, in the Christian life. And we could obviously look at each element of this, but right now I just want to focus on those middle elements where it says you take knowledge, supplement knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness. We're probably all guilty of this, but you may know somebody in your life who's particularly vulnerable to this reality. Here's the, here's the problem we face. The person who knows they need to make a change in life, and when you tell them, hey, you need to do this, they say, oh, I know, I know. Uh, so you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, maybe you know one bowl of ice cream instead of three bowls of ice cream per day, and you're like, oh, I know, I know. Now, does I know translate to action? Ugh. You know, sometimes. Oftentimes, I know is just a device to get the other person to stop bothering you. Oh, I know I should stop doing that. I know I should do something else. Knowledge is good. Knowledge with self-control is even better. Knowledge that leads to discipline. Knowledge that leads to a changed life is what we've been called to in the Christian life. And self-control leads to steadfastness or perseverance. Self-control is what allows us to continue to endure and persevere in the Christian life. How many careers, how many families, how many churches, frankly, have not been able to endure or persevere in the way they should because of a lack of self-control? We know what is true about God's word. We know what is true about the gospel. That translates to a changed life, to self-control, and self-control allows us to persevere, allows us to keep going in the relationship, in the job, in the church, in the calling that God has given us. So we don't want to just say, I know. Knowledge leads to self-control. Self-control leads to steadfastness or perseverance. For what purpose? Verse 8, what's the purpose? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, meaning there's a growth that's happening in the Christian life, what will happen? They will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to waste my life. I don't want someone to say about my life that I was ineffective or unfruitful. As a church, we don't want someone to say about us that we were ineffective or unfruitful in the kingdom of God. This verse is one of those verses that just stays with me so consistently uh, as a young man and thinking about what it is that God has called us to. Friends, we want to be effective in what God's called us to. We want to live lives that are fruitful for the kingdom of God. And for that to happen, one element that leads us to an effective life, that leads us to a fruitful life, is living with self-control. This element of the fruit of the Spirit will allow us to be effective and fruitful in a way that if we don't have self-control, we're never going to get there. So the question is, what is self-control? <laughs> when we're talking about self-control, what are we talking about? Probably the easiest way from Galatians chapter 5, that chapter about the fruit of the Spirit, probably the easiest way to think about what is self-control? Self-control is the opposite of the works of the flesh, so back there in Galatians chapter 5, that passage just before you get to the list of the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Each of those elements is the opposite of the self 
control. So that, that list of vices or sins there in Galatians 5 is meant to give off a, a feeling of chaos or, or things being out of control. Those elements in Galatians 5 there, those sins, are, are very selfish, very self-centered way of living that ends up affecting people around us. So the opposite of that, living according to the flesh, is what we consider, or living according to the Spirit, is what we call self-control, which leads me to the next screen, and this is important. When we talk about self-control today, we are not talking about self-in-control, we are talking about self-under-control of the Spirit. So when we hear self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't mean the willpower to take control of my life. Now that is a way that that word could be used or that term could be used in the world, but when you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, self-control is not self-in-control, it's I must decrease, he must increase. It's I empty myself, I repent and I trust in him and I come under the control of the fruit of the Spirit which forces us to ask the question, who or what is in control of your life? Who or what controls your life? In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, without self-control, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. The danger is, that we would live a passive life where our desires, our, our fleshly desires dominate the decisions we make instead of living under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we've already seen that if we're not living under control of the Spirit, we'll be ineffective and unfruitful in what God has called us to. And so then the question is, God, how do I live out this self-control? What does it look like to live a self-controlled life in order to bring glory to God and to serve the people around me? So in order to get there, here's what I want to do. Maybe go a little backward here, but I hope this will be helpful. I've tried to go through Scripture and find different places that it talks about self-control. What are the areas of self-control that God has called us to? And then if, after we talk about these different areas, we're going to talk about how to grow in self-control. What does Scripture say about growing in self-control? And, and as we go through these areas, let me say this up front. The goal is not that you come away thinking, man, I'm a lousy person, or you come away buried in guilt. Instead, that you would come away saying, God, I want my life to be effective and fruitful for you. God, do this work in my heart. Change me from the inside out. So what are the areas in Scripture that talk about self-control? Temper or words, how we respond to others, are we controlling of others, or do we trust other people? how we use our time, <laughs> time ties into that pesky phone and, and technology and how that eats up our time, how we use money, food, physical health, lust, sexual desire, all of these are elements of, of self-control. And the key to understand on each of these is that control is you're trying to control under the work of the Holy Spirit what is otherwise going to be a very good gift from God. Uh, A.W. Tozer says that most of the sins we encounter in life are just a distortion of something that should be a good gift from God. So we take something good that, that God has given us, and instead of using it for his glory and to serve other people and to bring joy to our life, it ends up getting twisted and distorted, and that's where the lack of self-control comes in. That's where the sin comes into play. So we're going to talk through 
each of these elements just to get an idea of what does self-control look like in the Christian life, and then we'll talk about growing in that. So we'll start out here with this idea of temper and, and words. Ah, oh, this one hits close to home. This one's no fun. Uh, who hasn't at times exhibited a lack of self-control in regard to their temper or, or their words, where you respond and you think, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that, or I wish I wouldn't have said that, or I wish I could take that word and somehow like stick it back into my mouth and it wouldn't have come out. Uh, I think I've told most of you a couple of years ago, I had the chance to write a little uh, I'm sorry, please forgive me letter to First Baptist Church more, our friends over there, because at the end of a kid's basketball game, I may or may not have thrown a basketball a little too hard uh, across, the, uh, across the gym at the end of the, end of the game, which gave me an opportunity to speak to the kids about asking for forgiveness and repentance and confession. And so it turned into some good lessons, but man, I wish I wouldn't have thrown that basketball at the, uh, at the end of that game. Like where your temper just got out of control, your, your words get out of control. This idea of God, am I speaking in a way that honors you and builds up? We know from James chapter three, Man, the ton is powerful. You can use it to build people up and to praise God, and you can also use it in ways where you just lack of self-control, and it ends up dishonoring God or hurting other people. I wanna show you a funny picture that my wife uses with her kids when she does teaching. Uh, so there's Dorothy, the Holy Spirit, reaching around to uh, guard her mom's mouth, and my wife uses this when you want to be petty, but the Holy Spirit has your back. <laughs> so sometimes in life, we just need the Holy Spirit to reach around, and Holy Spirit, would you just cover my mouth in a moment like this? I need my mouth, I need my temper, I need my emotions to be kept under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. God, do this work in my life. So temper and words is one area. Let's look at the next area. The next area, connects to temper and words, but it's more generally just how I respond to other people. Here's what I mean by this. Self-control is exhibited when another person's actions or words doesn't immediately determine how you respond. Self-control is when another person's bad day doesn't automatically cause you to have a bad day. Self-control is when another person's poor decision about what to say doesn't immediately draw out of you the very worst of what you would might say in that situation. In other words, self-control says, I want to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to be controlled by people around me. And let's be frank about this. Sometimes we are surrounded by people who are pretty controlling and who try to use their emotions or their words or their actions to draw out of us things that are not holy, <laughs> that push our buttons in all the wrong ways. And we're trying to say spiritual self-control means that somebody else's bad day or bad attitude doesn't determine how I respond. I'm guided by the Holy Spirit of God in this situation, which also means on the flip side, self-control means that it's not my job to control everybody else. Part of self-control is learning to trust God and encourage and empower other people without trying to control another person's life. So self-control is, I'm not gonna let another person determine how I respond. I wanna respond guided by God's word. And I also am not gonna spend my life trying to control everybody else. I'm gonna trust God, I'm gonna encourage them, I'm gonna love them, but, but I'm not gonna try to control them. Time, ah, self-control and how we use our time. Are we investing our lives in a way that makes a kingdom impact? Are we using our time at work, our time with family, 
our time with hobbies, all of those things are, are good things, but are we using it in a way that shows we have control? Can you cut off work at the end of the day? <laughs> are you able to just say, okay, this is the end of this, now I need to go this area, I need to give full devotion to my family or to my friends? Are we able to cut off and say, you know what, this is a really good hobby, and I love to do it, but I might be spending a little too much time doing this. I, I need to cut this off. I need to have the self-control to say, God, help me to see where to invest my time. What impacts our time? Phone, <laughs> Te- technology. Uh, how ironic is it that devices that were created to save us time actually end up taking time away from us? So, so much of technology was like, hey, if we have this technology, we're gonna have all this extra time. What am I gonna do that with that extra time? Oh, I'm gonna use the technology that was created to, to save time that I could do other things. Again, is it a bad thing? No, incredible gift. I'm not getting rid of my phone, and, and technology is an incredible gift, but are we using it with self-control? Social media, you know, sometimes you just have to turn it off. Sometimes you just have to stop scrolling and say, you know what, self-control says I don't have to take my phone to the restroom every time, or self-control says, you know what, I don't have to check my email five times a day, or self-control. We have self-control, that we wanna live under the control of the Holy Spirit in a way that honors God. Money. Just like with our time, self-control of the Holy Spirit says, do I have control over the way I spend money? The gift of a budget, the gift of someone speaking in your life and saying, do you really need that? Not trying to control your life, but just someone who's coming alongside you and helping with that self-control. And frankly, self-control that says, I also don't need to hoard everything. That there's a point at which I need to trust God and so I need to be able to have a limit even on something like savings. Food and physical health. Now, I know this is a really sensitive one. And I, want to be, I want to be careful here that just being overweight is not what we're talking about in terms of being sinful. But honestly, there are self-control issues that come with food that we need self-control of the Holy Spirit to say, you know what, I need to get control of my diet. That, that my body has been created by God, is a gift from God. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so how I treat my body matters. And self-control impacts things like food and diet and how much we eat and physical health. And don't forget there's a flip side to this that we can become so obsessed with physical health and diet and working out that that in itself becomes something we need control of. It it becomes a God. And so we're trying to say, God, how can I have self-control with food and physical health? And then finally, lust and, and sexual desire. It's interesting in scripture how often food and sexual temptation are actually put with each other. It has a lot to do with just the cravings of the body and it also has to do with how ancient worship existed in a lot of temples where food offerings were given but there were also cult prostitutes there and so there's this connection between food and sexual temptation. But just the way of saying, I'm not gonna be driven by my desires. God, I want my life to be lived under the control of the Holy Spirit. And you know, if you look at that list, It's not hard to find ourselves on that list. (laughs) But the question is, God, how do I grow in self-control so that my life would honor you and I would be able to serve people around me? God, how does that happen? Let me walk you through some steps. What scripture gives us about how we grow in self-control. Number one, do not forget the basics of where the Holy Spirit is at work. Prayer, praise, the word of God, the gift of the church, All of the basics of how you see the Holy Spirit at work in the Christian life is exactly where we turn to find self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit. 
Titus chapter two. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control. So in the church, there should be no such thing as a dirty old man syndrome. There is, our older men in the church are examples of self-control. They are examples of dignity and holiness and what it means to live for the Lord. Older women, likewise, are to train the young women to be self-controlled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. How do we grow in self-control? It's not an individual sport. We need one another. I need examples of men who are older than me who exhibit what it looks like to have self-control in their life. The way we grow in self-control is when we're gathered together as the church under the word of God saying we want to pray, we want to praise, we want to encourage one another, we want to honor God with our lives. And so we grow together in that. And, and like with my basketball throwing illustration from earlier, the power of confession and forgiveness and repentance, you may look at that list that we saw earlier and there's a time in your life that you really messed up with lack of self-control. And you can spend your entire life living under that shame or you can experience the incredible freedom of repentance and confession and the power of God's spirit restoring you and moving you ahead with a new desire to live fully for the Lord. We don't live under that, that false shame of the past. We're, we're set free to live fully for God. So we need those basics. Number two, how do you live under self-control? The gift of fasting. Even right now in the season leading up to Easter, the season of Lent, where a lot of people fast from different elements to prepare their hearts for Easter, fasting is just the regular process of saying no or not right now to something in order to set your hope on the Lord to be more generous with your life and with your time. And let's be honest, <laughs> in, in our world, we are really bad at saying no. We're really bad about saying no or not right now to something in life in order to focus ourselves on the Lord, but that's the gift of fasting. Number three is as you develop this, what happens is you develop an internal spiritual wisdom for self-control. That we want self-control not to feel like something legalistic, but something that comes from the inside out. God, that I have control, I have spiritual wisdom that allows me to live fully for you. With that internal self-control, also comes the gift of external wise guidelines. One of our older men sent me an email this week that I just found so helpful. Uh, it wasn't actually even in, directly in reference to the self-control fruit, but I wanna read something that, that came from that because this idea of how do I set guidelines that allow me to exhibit self-control? This gentleman said, I learned a long time ago to quit planning for sin. Setting guidelines in place, having wise way of living is, I'm just going to not plan for sin. So here's what he says. When I was younger, I quit smoking by not buying cigarettes, which was a successful approach. Now, if I want to keep from eating sweets, I quit buying them. I'm like, ah, oh, there's my problem. Uh, if I don't plan for sin, like uh, if I'm not going to eat sweets, then I'm just not going to buy them. I now get most of my news from the newspaper so I can skip that which may incite feelings of anger or dissatisfaction. Self-control is not just at the moment of decision. Spiritual self-control is how we live our whole life. And so the decision that is made ahead of time is spirit-empowered just as much as that decision that's made in the moment. The Holy Spirit is involved in planning just as much as the Holy Spirit is involved in that moment of action. And so we need these external wise guidelines in our life. Building habits. 
Fresh habits and life will lead us to self-control. And, and here I think about an illustration from our friends at Hope is Alive. Hope is Alive is the uh, alcohol and drug addiction recovery program that our church partners with. And as Hope is Alive is in the process of helping people come out of a background of addiction and move into healthy living, one of the first things they make people do who live in their homes is they make them make their bed in the morning. It's like one of the first steps in addiction recovery is to make your bed in the morning. To say, I'm going to live a disciplined life. I'm going to build habits. When I learn to say yes to the right things, it helps me say no to the wrong things. Habits are about saying yes to the right things so I can live a self-controlled life that honors the Lord. So we build up these habits. And then finally, and frankly most important, the more gospel reminders and gospel focus we have in our life, the more we will live with self-control. The more we remember what Jesus has done, the more we remember that he is better than anything this world could ever offer. And when my desires are out of control, when my desires are for things that don't honor the Lord, what draws me back? It's the hope of the gospel. It's what Jesus has done for me. It's what Jesus wants to do in and through our lives and our church, that when we are struggling for self-control, and you may struggle areas of self-control. Frankly, we all do. Or you may feel like life is kind of out of control right now. What do we need? We need to look back to Jesus. We need to remember the power of the gospel. And frankly, I don't know a better way to do that than to take the Lord's Supper together. And so when I was thinking weeks ago about starting the Fruit of the Spirit series, I knew it needed to lead to the Lord's Supper. It needed to lead to how do we live out this fruit? It happens because of the power of the gospel. And so my prayer is as you think about self-control and a desire to honor the Lord with your life and to grow in that self-control, that this step right now of taking the Lord's Supper, it would be the first and most important step and the thing you come back to more than anything else. And so what I want to do for us is I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we have some folks that are going to go to the various tables and, and be available there. And we're going to ask you, uh, because of COVID and just different things going on, we want to be as careful and wise as we can. We're going to ask you to come to the tables. Take the elements. There's two cups stacked together. Take those back to your seat. Hold them. And then we will take and partake of the Lord's Supper together. So after I pray and you see somebody at a table, don't wait. That's your signal to go. Pick up the elements. Return to your place wait on us, and, and we'll go from there. Let me pray over you, and we're going to have a chance to celebrate and worship in this way. Father, thank you for uh, this process of working through the elements of the fruit of the Spirit. God, I, I'm so thankful for this, just personally. God, your work in my own heart and family and, and what this means for our church. And God, as we move forward, we know that the fruit of the Spirit is not about having a, personal, a certain personality. Fruit of the Spirit is not about having great willpower. The fruit of the Spirit is about trusting you and remembering the good news of the gospel. Every one of us have had times in life when we did not exhibit self-control. And in those moments, it's not left up to us to get our life together. God, we turn back to you and we find that you have given your body and your blood for us and you have made a way for new life for all of eternity. And so God, as we remember the power of the gospel together right now, I pray this would be a time of repentance, but also a time of encouragement, a time of strengthening, God, that this would guide our lives in the days to come. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.